Red and Roses, a podcast dedicated to discovering the intersections between fashion, ecology, and consumerism. I'm Erin Schulenberg, your host, a recent textile and fashion design graduate from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Welcome to episode three, everybody. Today, we are going to be learning about fair trade and serve. I have a special guest with me today. Her name is Sarah Wilcox. She is the store manager of Serve on State Street. And she's gonna answer some of the questions I have about fair trade and let you guys in on what Serve does and what they're all about. So everybody can welcome her to the podcast. Sarah, would you like to say some more? I feel very welcome. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you're here. So Sarah, do you mind telling everybody a little bit like about yourself and like what you've done? with serve sure um so the funny thing with with kind of my um past with serve is when i graduated college i found serve and i really wanted to work for this organization i love the idea of um, working globally i love the idea of really cool artisan made crafts um and so I probably applied to 10 different positions until I finally broke them down and um, they gave me an interview and I think they were just like, she's not going to stop. Let's just give her a job. <laughs> so, That's amazing. Yeah, so, I actually did not know that. <laughs> yeah. um, so initially I started off in um, product development and I was in product development for a couple of years and then um, when the store manager position became available, since I don't like to sit still very long, um, it seemed like the perfect fit. So, hence where I am now. And this is where you are now. That's amazing. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I actually, yeah, I did not know that. Yeah. That's so cool. That's yeah, real. <laughs> All right, so my first, like, official question for you is uh, kind of what serve is as a brand or a company, and if you could tell us, like, a little bit about that, like how it got yeah, started, right what's its mission statement, things like that. Cool. Well, um, Serve has been around since 1949. I have not been around quite that long. Um, but uh, the mission of Serve is, is really to work with um, marginalized artisans and farmers around the world and, and help provide a platform for them to um, sell their incredible uh, crafts and food products and clothing and, and all of that. And, and um, our goal is to, to work with people so that they can lift themselves and their communities out of poverty. Um, so, you know, it's both an aspect of um, commerce and, and people buying things, but it's, it's also about development projects and, you know, making sure that people have clean water and food and can send their kids to school and all those things that sometimes I think we take for granted. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I guess that kind of gets into my next question. Um, I was, I was going to ask you kind of like what generally fair trade is and what kind of are the 10 principles that serve gets behind in order to like support fair trade and like how we um, basically kind of manage the fair trade aspect of the brand. And then also you got into it a little bit, but like what are the benefits to workers? You know, what mm -hmm. are some of the programs we have at serve that benefit our workers directly other than just pay? Sure. Well, I think that's a big deal and, and especially... You know, within the fair trade movement right now, you have a lot of companies that that are kind of saying like, "Oh yeah, we do fair trade," but but I think one of the things that I most respect about Serve is is the long time um, street cred <laughs> uh, that yeah. they have because I mean, being being around for that long, 
um, has has put serve to the test in in regards to um, what it really means to be fair trade and um, serve was one of the uh, founders of the World Fair Trade Federation or World Fair Trade Organization and the U.S. based Fair Trade Federation um, and those two kind of governing bodies uh, they are are based on um, principles of fair trade and so those are things like equal opportunities for women, it's transparency within um, the working environment, it's making sure that kids can go to school as opposed to having to go to work, it's environmental sustainability. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's these principles that really guide everything that we do. So when people come in the store and they're like, oh, well, how much of this is actually fair trade? We actually are able to say, well, 100% is because you know, those are our guiding principles. And if something doesn't, if a product or a, a group doesn't um, live up to or um, also abide by those principles, then we, we don't work with them because it doesn't meet what we consider fair trade standards. Right. Um, uh, so in terms of kind of how it is with um, workers within a fair trade structure, I think, you know, what's cool is that a lot of our groups are either um, co-ops or they're kind of community structured. Mm -hmm. So, yes, fair wages is important, but it's also, like I talked about the, before, kind of the development projects behind um, the whole situation. So um, I know, for instance, at the store, we ask people when they make a purchase if they'd like to round up to the next dollar. And what's cool about that is all that change that we really don't think much of, like it's literally less than a dollar, yeah, totally. is all going to different development programs. So some of the cool ones that um, CERV has done in the past are um, buying solar-powered lanterns for some of our producers in India because the power kept going out. And, of course, if the power goes out, they don't have light to embroider. They don't have light right. to you know, continue making the crafts, which is a, a huge problem. Um, there's also been some really great clean water initiatives. Um, one of our partners, Nabigania in Kenya, was able to build a school for the workers' children. Um, and so, you know, like, it's all those little things that add up that I think make fair trade a step further, right, than just, yeah. um, like, yay, but it's, you know, like, yeah. like it's double yay. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And I think, like, you sharing, like, the specific things that Serve does, like, makes it a little bit more, like, accessible to our customer. Right. Because it's not just, like, oh, yeah, we produce fair trade. Like, it's this thing that actually is helping real people. So when you right. put these, like, projects to that kind of shows like what we're actually able to do which is awesome right and I think it's one of those things where it's not us saying oh you guys need this <laughs> you know and I think that's yeah. the, the collaborative environment that um I really dig and I think is important because I mean there's been a lot of different uh usually U.S.-based companies that that they're doing something really great but that's yeah. because they haven't actually ask the people that it affects what they need or want. That's such an important thing to bring up, I think, is, like, yeah, like, we, we are giving people the tools to, like, be successful on their own almost mm -hmm. and, like, allowing them to, like, have their own lives 
and like not necessarily being like, yeah, you should do this. Right. Like you need us to help you with this. Like, right. Right. It's yeah. it's a it is a literally a collaborative experience right. where. Like, we don't, we don't know what you need. Just like in a lot of senses in terms of one of the things that Serve can provide is design experience, or, you know, design experience and also mm-hmm. design knowledge to a West, you know, for a Western-based customer. Yeah, definitely. You know, so it's, it, you know, it kind of goes both ways where we learn from them, they learn from us, and, um, and that's what I think makes the collaboration so powerful. Yeah, which is absolutely incredible because when you think about how many people are get involved in that whole process, right. it's wild. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and you kind of touched on this before when you were talking about just fair trade certifications in general, but um, I was wondering if you could just explain to our audience a little bit about like how rigorous the process actually is to become fair trade certified because it's definitely like kind of in general like a long process and like pretty absolutely. intense. It is, and, and actually, you know, being fair trade certified has a lot of different um, kind of offshoots to it. So mm-hmm. in terms of craft, there is not actually a fair trade certification, mm-hmm. and that's why the um, 10 principles of fair trade are so important to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, you know, food has a fair trade certification, and some clothing factories and um, in the way in which some clothing is made can be fair trade certified. But I think the most important thing, especially for consumers, is to ask questions mm-hmm. um, and to to really um, get more knowledge about how things are produced, where they're produced, and make sure that they're making an informed decision. Because, you know, just like there's a lot of kind of code words that I think in the past have, have gotten a lot of like a lot of cool to them like the organic movement for instance like yes yes, you can slap the term organic on so many things but what does it actually mean and and the fair trade term can be kind of thrown around a bit and and that's really not fair to um the producer partners that 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 work so hard and um you know you you just really want to make sure you know yeah what you're buying and and make sure that they know what they're doing. Yeah. So. No, I think that's that's so true. Like, just on our last episode, we were talking about how, like, making more informed purchasing decisions is mm-hmm. so important, especially in this age where there's so many different companies we can purchase from. Right. That we should, we should try to make the best decisions we can. Right. Like, within that system. Right. Um, so my next question for you is kind of regarding, like, some of these artisan groups. Um, I was wondering if you could just tell a little bit about like some of the artisan groups that Serve works for, and maybe totally. how they're a little bit different from one another, one another, and like what they do. Sure. Well, and the cool thing is, I um, I can actually speak from personal experience, which I'm really That's grateful right. for. Yes, yes. Um, I've had the opportunity to go visit um, some of our partners in Mumbai, India, and then last March I got to go to. Um, South Africa and Swaziland to to directly meet with some of our partners and and I mean both experiences was were mind blowing and and just personally um, expanding um, both because I don't love to be on planes for a long time and those were two yeah. very long flights <laughs> um, but also you know just just the sense of you know I've been working for Serve now really since two thousand and seven so. A long time, 
um, to be able to see these gorgeous products on the shelves, but to really mm-hmm. actually watch people making them is a completely different thing. And so, you know, as in when I was in Mumbai, we were meeting with um, producers from Marketplace of India, and so it's these amazing women's cooperatives that are hand stitching, hand embroidering clothing, and I, I've never made myself clothing. I have no idea, you know, how a sleeve gets hooked to the, you know, the body and how to do all the math to make that happen. And, um, and I think you just get this, uh, you just get this other sense of, um, the actual beauty and the craftsmanship behind each product. And it becomes something more than just a shirt that you put on, um, you know, and, and how, like each group was in and of itself, like the support group. Mm-hmm. Um, like for instance, one of the the embroidery groups that I got to visit, um, one of the ladies was was so excited to meet somebody from Serve that she actually went home um, and got her like three year old daughter and brought her back to meet me, oh. and I was just like like in shock and awe, you know, and and it was just such a like a humanizing. Yeah. Um, connection-based experience um, that really just brought home how much more than just a product um, and how much how much more that when you buy something that is actually fair trade what that means yeah um, and so then you know also when we went to South Africa and particularly when we went to Swaziland um, which is a gorgeous country, and I think we drove on every single road of that country, <laughs> some of them very unpaved. And, um, you know, to, to watch the women that make these extraordinarily intricate baskets um, sitting in a field, just talking about their lives, and meanwhile, you know, their kids are with them, and they're able to have this experience um, you know, really community experience, but they're also making these amazing baskets. Like, I tried to make a basket once. <laughs> it was not good. It didn't. It did not look like a basket. No, it's um, really it's hard. Challenging. Right, right. And so I think the other part of that that's super cool is like it's a tradition that's passed on and on. Um, and some of the basket makers, you know, are um, like they are gallery, like artisan quality right. um, and then they're able to teach other people how to make them too and, and that is just like a you know it's a human experience um, yeah it takes so. so much skill to like do do things like that I don't oh, think people yeah. realize like they, they just buy a product off the shelf right. and they're like oh like it's, it's manufactured but actually right. like these fair trade products have been made by a person a real right. person with a real name with a real life and right the craftsmanship and handiwork that goes into these products is absolutely like, it's astounding. Absolutely, you know? like yeah. the the just go, to go back to the baskets from Swaziland. Like, I was able to see the workshop in which you know the raw um, raffia mm-hmm. came to them undyed, you know, from the fields, and then watch the vats of dye and all these different colors, and then. Um, there was a, a woman in charge of, of dispersing the raffia to each group. And, you know, so we're following her around in this, mm-hmm. in this truck that's 
again, going on these mountainous, unpaved roads, and then all of a sudden under a tree there would be a group of ten women waiting to receive the raffia so that they can then make the baskets that were then going to get shipped to the U.S. that were then going to end up in, you know, people's homes oh or gifts God. and stuff like that. And That's, yeah, it was... That's it was, just amazing. It's super cool. It's oh super, and, you know, just like that experience, but also like... Dang, that's an amazing basket, yeah. right? Like, it's like the, yeah, they're just chilling, like the and, under this tree, making this amazing <laughs> thing. Like the the artisan skill and like the craft behind it is um, is inspiring. Yeah, like thank you to these people. Absolutely, they spend their time doing these things. Right, yeah, right, it's absolutely right. incredible. Um, my next question for you is like. How, how do you feel like the industry has changed kind of in the last decade or such and such amount of time? Because I, I truly feel like the fair trade industry has, has made so much ground in the last, you know, sev- even several years. Yeah. And even, you can even see it in like uh, serves retail store, just like the, the different products that you guys are now selling and like, you know, what new products you're selling so I just wanted to get your opinion on how you feel like it's really like made an impact and move forward. I think that's a great question. And I think that it's a question that fair trade is going to need to deal with way more than what it has actually even started to deal with. Um, one of the things that used to frustrate me about fair trade is that I felt like it was a lot of knickknacks and a lot of things that people don't actually need, um, which then turned it into feeling kind of like a pity buy um and there are so many gorgeous amazing things that are functional Mm -hmm. um that i think serve and other fair trade um companies have have really worked towards making things more functional so for instance like oh you need um you know a set of mugs for your new house yeah you could go to target and buy them or you could come to serve and buy them and, and kind right. of know what's behind there. Whereas I think in the past, there was a lot of things that you put on the shelf and then you felt good about yourself because you bought it and it was fair trade and you were helping people. Right. And I, there's a real problem with that. Um, and I think fair trade has started to address that problem a bit. And it, there's a, definitely a long ways to still go. And one of the things that I like particularly about our store is that we focus on fair trade apparel. Yes. And so almost all of us have to wear pants or, <laughs> yes. well, I don't ever wear pants, okay. But dresses, <laughs> dresses, dresses. you know, t-shirts or tops. whatever, tops. <laughs> like, you know, so it gets cold in Wisconsin. So, um, again, it's just making a conscious choice about where you buy things. And, and you don't have to be perfect, like, Sometimes you go to the thrift store and sometimes you go to a big box store and sometimes, like, let's say you're going to a wedding and, and you need a dress for that occasion. You know what? You can you can make the choice to, to buy fair trade because, you know, you're going to spend that money anyway. Um, so it's, it's an opportunity to be able to, um, to make a choice that affects your life, it affects other people's lives when you were going to make that, you were going to make that choice anyway. You were going to make right. a choice to buy something. Right. So why not have it be fair trade? Why not have it be functional? Um, yeah, like you're already in the buying mindset. Yeah, you're already so there. make the better choice. Right, exactly, yeah, totally. exactly. Um, and so, 
like I said, I think fair trade in general still has um, some exciting opportunities. <laughs> um, but it's get, it's getting much better. Yeah, this segues so well into my next question. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you, like, is there anything in particular that you see as, like, the future of fair trade or a movement that is is really moving in the right direction? I think fair trade has a... I think fair trade has the opportunity to move in a couple different directions that I personally think would be good. One of them is, again, the functional product-based um, Yeah, and I, I absolutely direction. agree yeah. with that. Right. And then I think the other one that, you know, we've kind of dealt with at a, a smaller level within serve and especially at the store is just really getting um, more uh, of a Western-based people of color collaborative um, effort and making sure that their voice is also within fair trade Um, because I think a lot there has been some problems in the past with again people kind of some people feeling um, like a a savior kind of complex. Yes. And yes. and that has got to stop. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's not that's not what fair trade is. That's right. not the future of fair trade. And um and making sure that it's it's more of a collaborative environment and and even perhaps looking at um communities within the United States or with the global north that um also need help. Yes. And, or also need, maybe it's not even help, but an opportunity to be able to be within the same playing field. Yeah. Um, and, and, and basically just need an opportunity. Yeah, showcase um, their abilities. Absolutely. And their talents. Right, yeah, right. As individuals, yeah. Yeah. We have a, a really cool um, group that we work with based out of Chicago called Bright Endeavors, and they do soy-based yes. candles that are great. Um, they smell amazing. Yes, they Just do. <laughs> I have several of them. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, what's cool about them is that they're just, they're working with women that would perhaps otherwise not have the same opportunity yes. and, and giving them a platform not only for their voices to be heard, but also to have different um, training and, and skills. So um, resume building and... Um, and I think, you know, more of that is a huge opportunity for for fair trade. It's a huge opportunity just for the idea of kind of collaborative buying. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you brought up, like, the concept of, like, kind of privilege, like, mm-hmm. within fair trade, because it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. I mm-hmm. read an article, and I talked about it last episode. It was called uh, Conscious Consumerism is a Lie. Mm, and basically, she was bringing up, um, the article is by Alden Wicker, she was bringing up the kind of concept that, like, buying sustainable, fair trade, ethical fashion can be a really privileged act, mm-hmm. just due to the high cost. Absolutely. And I think that's something that this industry just needs to think about mm-hmm. and, like, be aware of and how they can make it more accessible to people. Right. And I think, yeah, like, making it more of a collaborative space or, like, giving people the opportunity or showcasing talents that maybe not are not, like, those around you, like, is, is such a better way to approach it and mm-hmm. just thinking about how we can just better educate 
you know, the public on what fair trade really is and, like, help people make better purchasing decisions, even if they can't afford necessarily, like, fair trade options. Sure. But maybe the thrift store or secondhand or right. what, are, what are even other options that maybe we haven't thought about yet mm-hmm. that could be solutions to those those issues. Because I do think definitely if you don't have the money to afford, you know, a higher cost good, then mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to make that decision for yourself. So right. I'm really glad you brought that up because I think it's it's super important to mm-hmm. talk about. Mm-hmm. One of the other things I, you know, I think is cool about CERV is that <clears throat> we... You know, we're an organization that is, that relies on hundreds and hundreds of volunteers to even run. Um, yes. You know, at the store we have like twenty volunteers that help us uh, every week. You know, and without right. them, I would be in the corner in the field position, <laughs> just like crying. <laughs> you know what I mean? And 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 at the um, at the warehouse and all, and all that. And I think it's an opportunity. Um, to get more voices heard and and get more perspectives yes. on how things in in this um, how things are run in fair trade. Yeah, absolutely. So our time is coming to a close. Um, so thank you so much for uh, just being here to do this interview. It's our first interview Woo! on Thread and Roses. Um, the last question I wanted to ask you, and it's a little bit more for our audience, but. How do you think, like, everyday citizens and our customers can really help contribute to the fair trade movement? And it, it doesn't necessarily even have to be with their purchasing decisions, but if you think if there's any other, like, opportunities they have or ways to get involved, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, I think the volunteering aspect is, is huge um, because in order to make changes to systems, you have to be um, willing to be a part of them in some capacity. Um, whether it be someone from the outside kind of looking in and helping to see like, hey, this is what I'm seeing and I think it, you know, it, it might need to change. Um, or someone, you know, on, in, on the ground just um, talking to other customers or talking to human beings, you know, and just saying like, this is an option, mm-hmm. you know. So it is, you know, a lot of it is purchasing power because if, if these goods don't sell then the the system does does stop because right. this is based on a system where things have to sell in order for um, you know our, our partners to to keep going year yeah. after year. I mean that's just how how the system is currently based. Um, but other than that, getting involved, getting other people knowledgeable about choices that they can make, um, and then just like you, like you don't have to be perfect. Like, you do your best. Right, right. You know, and so you make, if you're downtown in Madison and you're like, oh, my God, I need some chocolate so bad. We got you. Come to serve. Like, we have <laughs> lots of flavors and we're going to give you some for free. So. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, y- you know, like this, you can go big or you can go small. You just, yeah. you know, um, have to start someplace. No, I think, yeah, that's absolutely a good point. Like, you, you have the power. Right to make some of these small and even large decisions. So you should utilize that when you can. Right. Just like voting. That's right. Everybody should vote. <laughs> so many things are out of our control, but there are some things that we do, we can control. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on Thread and Roses. It's been a great talking to you. I am happy to be on. 
Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Fair trade holds a soft spot in my heart, and I think it's extremely beneficial to this industry to move it forward. I do realize that it does have its own challenges, but the benefits that it brings to the workers of the fashion industry and the environment and the continued appreciation for craft and tradition is is extremely incredible for this industry. So thanks for taking the time to tune in this week. Before we sign off, we have a fiber word of the week, of course. This week's word is cheesecloth, which is a low thread count, plain weave, soft cotton, or cotton blend cloth, also known as gauze. Very interesting. You guys can tune in next week to hear about different kinds of alternative fibers and how they are disrupting the market. I'm Erin Schulenberg, and you've been listening to Thread and Roses. This podcast was produced by Erin Schulenberg and Ethan McLeod. Intro and outro music.